Welcome to another episode of Vivid Arts, the podcast. Vivid Arts is your ultimate digital tour guide with a Florida art scene where we connect art lovers to the art communities and their artists growing all around us. I'm your producer, Kevin Yontanen. Today we got a very special guest, Kelsey McQuaid. Kelsey McQuaid is a Fort Lauderdale-based artist, art curator, founder of Shangri-La House, who touches on social commentary and has recognizable pieces of art all over South Florida. You can find her work down in Fort Lauderdale, Fat Village, all over. She was also named Best Emerging Artist in Palm Beach County and Broward County three years into her work. You can find her on Facebook at Kelsey McQuaid Art and on Instagram at Kelsey McQuaid. And be sure to follow Vivid Arts Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, and stay connected with all of Vivid Arts on our website at www.vividartsapp.com. Now let's get right into the episode. Here we are with another episode of the Vivid Arts Podcast. Today we have Kelsey McQuaid. Kelsey, uh, so yeah, what's new, Kelsey? What do you have going on? Hi, guys. Yeah, so uh, any anything that you've been uh, doing lately? Any new art styles that you've been getting into? That's interesting. Lately, I have been experimenting a lot. Um, I'm doing a lot of mixed media stuff right now. I'm collaging, uh, working with new mediums. I'm playing with glitter. I'm playing, I'm playing with stuff you wouldn't normally play with in the fine art realm and trying to make something decent out of it. So that's a new thing I've been up to. Normally, my style is abstract with this um, Mylar uh, illustration on top, and that's pretty much what I'm known for. But in the last couple years, I've been branching out with different things and just playing a lot and seeing what sticks. Um, That's all part of it, you know? (laughs) Of course. Experimenting is probably the most fun you can have as an artist what what has like spurned you to get onto this new what like found objects is it more or less that yeah that's that's what i'm doing now um actually it's an idea that i didn't have for once uh greg durr who is an awesome we know curator greg. Yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah he's a great guy um a real art buddy of mine for a while he just got brought on as my um curatorial assistant for hallie's we're doing the next six months of shows up in lake worth uh-huh. so his his big idea um coming that what he brought to the table was this found object show that he wants to do at um hallie's that we've confirmed i'm doing a solo show first but then we'll follow it up with a two-month show of found objects um with like 20 artists in the community who don't normally work with found objects. So it'll be really fun to see how they push themselves. Um, and I guess, you know, he threw that out there and one day I was just on the patio, like chilling. And I just picked up a magazine and started cutting it up and found an old shelf that was from our, our, our bathroom closet. And I just chopped it up and made some stuff out of it. So it was a lot of fun. So is the concept going out and finding unique objects um, that you're are getting kind of discarded and making some yeah. art, some getting you know some use out of them? Yeah, totally. So it's like if you find trash on the side of the road, or you have something you know hanging out in the studio that you've been peering at for a while, it's like anything. It could be you know sculpture. It could be. Just, it could be absolutely anything. So found objects, just anything that you find interesting that's like inspiring to you that you want to work on or, you know, elevate in some way. Mm-hmm. That's the whole concept. Um, 
It's been a total blast, honestly. What kind of things have you guys recycled so far? Um, I haven't seen all the work yet. That show doesn't uh, come out until after my solo show in May. So, um, actually in June, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I haven't, I haven't seen all the work yet. I have seen some cool stuff on skateboards for the show that we're doing right now at, at Howley's. And I know that a lot of the artists that were asking to do that show will probably be working with um, old skateboards and old cool collective collectible things that they've you know found over the years comic books stuff like that so it's going to be a total blast a lot of fun nice. what other uh, mediums have you uh, worked on before oh um well, i mostly work on canvas or board um usually like my process in general is I do a bunch of abstract pieces. So a lot of times like I'll prep maybe 30 canvases at a time, 20 or 30 canvases at a time that I'll paint. And then um, it's all acrylic, all the, all the, what I really started do, what I originally did was I found my own process of making paint through uh, binding agents and different uh, pigments. So I developed a process from the science of making paint, like the, the chemistry of it, um, with the weight and the transparency of the paint on a wet canvas. And I would, it's what I used to call drip work. And it would just be basically um, layering paint in a style that looked organic. <clears throat> um, that was always what I was trying to do. And then more recently, like the show I did last October, for example, is all like, um, really strong brush strokes and, and it's, there's no drip work in it. So really the concept is like this abstract, um, element, which is all the emotion and, you know, the value of color, um, all the color psychology that goes on behind the work. And then I usually, I choose about, I, I usually choose about 60 photographs from, um, iconic, you know, some kind of iconic photograph, uh, whether it's like a very popular um, photographer or, you know, something that was just really captured a moment in time or an expression that I that I fall in love with. And then I refine that down to however many pieces that I paint the backgrounds of. And then I sort of talk to the paintings a little bit like mm -hmm. I, I feel them out and I and I figure out which background is going to look best with what illustration and the narrative develops from there. So every time I do a piece, I never do one piece at a time. I don't think about my artwork as like this one piece in this one composition. I'm really a curator before I'm an artist, I think. So I always think about it like what it's gonna look like in exhibition, how they're gonna look together um, and the conversation they're gonna have between each other. So, so all the paintings that I do in a series is about one thing and they should speak to each other they should like you know when you see them in a room you might not get it just by looking at a portrait but you'll get it when you see the five together and they're all speaking the same language like a words. mosaic more or less not really a mosaic like like literally conversation uh each one it, it depends on where i'm hanging the, the piece right so when I do a show, I approach the vet, like the venue approaches me and asks me to do a show. I usually don't do shows unless I'm asked to do it. So if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Kelsey, you know, we have this 
we had like last year, October last year, um, Ingrid from IS Projects in, in Fat Village came to me and said, we have an open month. We're about to transition into a new gallerist and I would really like you to get in there. And I was like, all right, October, I don't want to do horror stuff. Like that's not what I'm about right now. I get booked every October to do a show. Uh, and I've done it, so I'm like, well, the election's about to turn out. Let's do something related to that. And I did an exhibition called Walking in Circles. And I always look at the space first, and I say, what work would elevate the space? And what could the space do to elevate the work? So I think about the relationship between the two before I ever approach the work. Um, that series was a big political statement. It was a, a, a huge step in a different direction for me. I was always doing very feminine work previously, mm -hmm. and it was sort of auto, you know, it was like about myself in a big way, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's a little egotistical after a while, like you do it for a couple years and you're like, what can I say, what can I talk about now that, that I kind of figured myself out now, like through the art I found who I am, and, uh, <laughs> And, you know, so I want to talk about something a little deeper. And, and I took the opportunity to reflect on, you know, human rights and uh, human decency. And I just applied it to what we do in modern, what we were doing in our own modern time. And, you know, the, the title is Walking in Circles. So it, it was about how we're doing the same thing. We're fighting the same fight and not much has changed. Um, so it, it's my way of. I always use the past to talk about the present because uh, I think it's still really close to all of us and, and where we came from is really important. So I try to highlight that um, in this conversation with the art. You know, I want it to all speak to each other. So I actually brought some paintings for you guys to look at and I'll, sure. I'll show you maybe when we're done with the podcast. Yeah, we'll post some of them. How definitely. they talk to each other and how they're, you know, what their relation is. I like to be like at the show. I want to be in front of the work talking to people. That's my, my favorite part is to ask them questions and find out what they're feeling. And uh, maybe there's something there that I didn't feel. So, so it's really cool. I think the work gains more value as the audience interacts with it. And, and that's my mentality about all of my work. I, I pretty much don't make art that doesn't get shown. You mentioned that you, you like found yourself through your art and kind of is that like oh, that's huge, is that yeah. more or less recently or no I mean it's every day every like day? it's not like new or old it's like a constant you know it's like life it, it it's fluid it doesn't happen all at once I mean I have epiphanies all the time and, and ideas and I just fill up notebooks all day but like the finding myself thing comes from the process of working. Like in that moment where I'm connected to the work, I can feel myself and I can feel my connection to everyone else. It's really, it's pretty strong. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned also like the color psychology behind a lot of the work. What, what, tell me about some of like the recent things that you kind of have done in the psychology of the color behind some of those yeah i uh i play with color a lot so so i get a lot of judgment on that like a lot of times people will go well those colors don't go together and i say well they do and this is why and i think about it from a really scientific perspective so i studied i studied some color psychology uh in college 
And as a graphic designer and a marketer, I, I know the value of it. Uh, I know that like a product on a shelf, if it's yellow, it's gonna ca catch someone's attention or if it's red, it's gonna make them hungry. These are things I think about. So in my work, you know, I'm, I, I see color uh, more like emotion than like color. Uh, so I know when I'm playing with a teal, what emotion it's supposed to cast and what, what people might perceive from that. And then I know if I juxtapose that with a yellow, how that will spike their attention. Um, yeah, the color psychology thing is like this thing I've been navigating forever. I, I play with color in a way that I, I haven't seen from other people. A lot of people think it's like I'm just throwing everything at the canvas and going nuts. Sometimes I am, but not usually the work that I'm showing. Like this recent one you did, uh, I believe it's called um, An Ode to North Korea, is it? Yeah, that's An Ode to North Korea. I brought that so you guys could see it in, in real life. What, what's kind of like the, the psychology that you kind of went for? Did you go for uh, anything in that one? or? So that one, that one was the one that I was experimenting with a lot. Um, that one's really playful. It, it came because... David, my fiance, was uh, drawing this, like, he found, like, the scraps of a Tiffany um, ad that I had cut out of, of a Vogue magazine from back in, like, March. And um, he found it, and he started, like, drawing this, this rocket ship, right, on this little scrap of paper that you see here. And he, like he did all this line work and all this stuff. And I was like, that's really cool. And at the time I was drawing on this, on this picture of this Asian girl and I hadn't really had a plan and what I was going to do with it. But I started kind of looking around. I've been playing on my back patio recently. I'm working on like this huge 60 by 72 canvas. And so I took my palette, which is a plexi, a plexi palette. And I just peeled, all of my dry paint from the palette and like what you see on top of her head there is all dry like dry paint that I peeled from my palette and then adhered to the wood mm. um, the whole idea came together closer to the end when I incorporated his his rocket uh, my favorite thing to do is collaborate with somebody even if they're not like you know an artist I, I like to take doodles and other things and build a narrative from that so so an ode to north korea happened the day that we dropped that mother of all bombs mm -hmm. and uh i was having like a pretty much a nervous breakdown <laughs> i was like well yeah north i was like world war three is really <laughs> coming what am i gonna do i guess i'll just make some art uh which is my solution to everything uh and that's what came about i think the color psychology behind that is just it's the color in my in my palette there really wasn't there wasn't a thought process there. That was a playful experience, and that's just what came from it. That That's the found object stuff that I'm working on now. So it's just been totally fun. That turned into a series of, like, 12 pieces. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah. What do all the other ones kind of – how do the other ones communicate with this one? So they're all about different uh, countries that mm. we've had potential uh, wars with or we're, you know – we've always been in conflict with. So there's one called like the red curtain and it's about China uh, and, and like <clears throat> the possibility of potential war with them. There's a ruler on that one and it's marking the height of an atomic bomb. So that one's pretty fun. Hmm. Um, <laughs> they're pretty heavy, you know, they're, they're beautiful and they're colored 
in a way that might seem playful and, and might not hit you with that much emotion right away. But if you, you know, as a curator, like I, there's going to be a statement about each piece. Mm -hmm. And, and so eventually when they show at Hallie's in a couple months, um, you know, people might want to buy it and then look at what it says and go, oh, no, <laughs> like, that's a little scary. I don't know if I need that in my house. One's about Russia, and it incorporates, like, a little egg. There's, like, a, th a three like a little egg that I've encapsulated in it, and it's two twins um, that look almost identical, but they're, but one is very boyish and one is really feminine, and I guess... That one's like blue and pink, and it's a play on masculinity and femininity, um, and our relationship to Russia. It's very much the same colors as our, the American one. Um, when they all, when they're all put together and finished, uh, I think the whole idea is to like navigate um, what it means to be human, and and I think that none of us really want to see the demise of our universe, right? So. I think when you take country out of things, what, what do you have? You know, you have, when you take politics and religion out of stuff, you have human nature. Um, and that's really the point of these. Like, I just want them to be fun. I don't really want to think too hard about it, but, you know, nothing I do can just be fun. So I have a statement for every piece, and I have a thought process behind them. I don't know what they're going to be yet because they're not finished. But They're still speaking to you, kind of developing. Yeah, they've been whispering in my ear all week. <laughs> That's what like separates some art between other art, just like what it kind of speaks to you, the reaction that it kind of evokes from people. And, right. And it's not just like something that's more or less aesthetic, but it's something that carries meaning. And... Yeah, it should anyway. Like if it's good, it's got to be powerful somehow. Right. Whether or not like you feel it directly, I mean – I learned something really, really vital at the beginning of my experience as an artist, quote unquote. I was 16. I went to New York with my cousin and I went to the MoMA and I walked into Jackson Pollock's room and like saw this painting, Fear Fathom 5, which totally pissed me off. I was angry. I, like, walked into the gallery. It was one room specific for one painting. They set aside an entire room in this in this huge museum for this painting, and I was kind of appalled at the idea that, like, Jackson Pollock was just throwing paint, or that's what I thought. And then I, wa I had to walk away from the gallery, and I, I sat down in this chair, and I was, like, literally, like, angry. I didn't know why I was angry. I had no idea, but I was enthralled I was so passionately angry and what I realized is that painting was an angry painting and it had projected upon me the energy that he put into it and I was so mind blown at the end of that like when I walked away from that gallery I was like that's what art is like I it totally dawned on me it doesn't matter your technical technical skills if you're really able to transfer energy through time on a stagnant piece of 2D art, you have something that could start wars and end them. You know, like you have something that could change humanity. If I could be that angry, I'm a nice person, dude. Not a lot of stuff gets me that like really upset. I, I probably am not as nice as I think I am, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could ask my friends. <laughs> 
but yeah, that I, I don't think I've ever felt like that angry in a, in a few seconds. And I realized like, if you have that much power, you could spread so much joy if you, you know, yeah, I really like that definition it. of bard and interpretation. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, well, it was for me. It was like it was like a shaking, powerful feeling. Like I didn't know that it existed. Like it was like seeing art for the first time. Have you ever felt like that with another piece of artwork? I like feel that? it all the time now. Like I feel when I feel like when I see somebody who I really love working with emerging artists and I like young artists, passionate artists that haven't been jaded yet from the experience of what it can be to you know develop yourself professionally and you know you think it's all fun and games when you first get into it you're like i'm gonna be this crazy artist and it's gonna be so much fun and then like reality hits and you have to be good at business and you have to know numbers and you have to know science like there's a lot that goes on in the art world the business of art so i love working with emerging artists and i see it a lot in in the artists that i work with um who are able to just you know, do a little mark making or like, you know, have this very powerful stroke in their work and you can feel it. You can feel it immediately. And my thought on that is like the younger you are, the more passionate you are, the more energy you can bring to your work, you're going to be great as you learn how to be an adult and how to navigate business and everything. So I, I try to take those people um, as seriously as I can and give them opportunities and, and, prepare them mentally for, you know, being as great as they're going to be. Yeah, that's a great point to uh, get to the commercials, though. Get to get to a word from our partners real quick. And we'll be right back. We'll be right back. See ya. <laughs> Looking for a fun, vibrant, and collaborative environment to work? Check out the Palm Beach Tech Space in downtown West Palm Beach on Detour Street between Dixie and Olive. As a nonprofit, they have your best interests in mind with a large-scale vision of transforming the Palm Beaches into a tech and innovation hub. By offering a variety of memberships to suit different needs, there is something for everyone, from travelers, remote workers, to entrepreneurs and freelancers. Go on down to check them out to get inspired working alongside some excited new companies that are changing the ways business is done in the Palm Beaches. It's a great way to network, make new friends, and even find some budding talent that may be a vital source to help you grow your own business. Let's get back to the show. Broward, Broward and Palm Beach. Yeah, uh, Palm yeah, I got Best Emerging Artist in 2015 um, th with Broward, the Broward and Palm Beach New Times. Like, Best Emerging Artist in Broward and Palm Beach okay. in 2015. Which, to me, was kind of interesting because it was, like, the third year of my, of my career. And it put a big, like... <laughs> it, puts a, it put, like, something on my head. I think uh, it created a lot of resistance with other artists because they felt like maybe I thought I was too good or something. And, and it was really hard to connect with people for a little while. Um, kind of lingered for longer than I, I feel free from it now, but. So it, after winning that, you felt some resistance with other artists? I was super happy to receive that honor. I mean, I, I was super grateful and I felt really lucky. Um, but yeah, I, I got a little bit, of, I got some backlash. Like a lot of people would, meet me for the first time and not have any experience of who I am before they judged me 
and their judgment of me was coming from a place of maybe, um, doesn't sound good, but jealousy maybe, or like, uh, a little bit of like, you know, you being, think there's a, just being like, I work hard. So like, why'd you get this? And why didn't I, and nobody's ever heard of you. And I'm like, well, I work really hard. You just haven't heard of me because I'm doing everything low key. I'm doing everything for everyone else. Like I'm not, I don't put my name on everything. I'm not always out there. Half the things I do, I don't actually tell anybody I'm doing mm -hmm. because I don't need to tell anybody I'm doing it. I'm just happy it's happening. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, so I think it was hard for a little while. I'd meet people and, and they, I would get ego checked constantly. And I'm like, yo, like I'm all right right now. Like I'm good on my, like maybe you should check a little something, you know, but anytime I came back like that, it was like, okay, kettle con, you know, the pot black kind of thing. And I'm like, dude, you don't, you don't experience this life. You don't know who I really am until you've been on my back patio. Like you don't really know, you know, the, the yeah. reality of my life. Um, you might see what I'm willing to show you on social media, but you don't know how vulnerable and real I am yeah. and how upsetting these things can be when somebody tells you you're not original and you work 10 years to put on original work like to do something that you haven't seen anybody do in any gallery you've ever been to and all you say is like yeah well this is what I do and they go yeah well you're not really original you're not really the best and I'm like well I'm just I'm okay though like <laughs> thank you how do you how do you think <laughs> what's the best way to kind of like answer like kind of I, I feel like that's something that a lot happens I used it as like a flag for so long like I, I when I first got it I was like this is the only thing I have so I'm gonna use it and I would tell everybody that's how I'd introduce myself if I wanted somebody to take me seriously I'd say well I got best emerging artist in Broward and West Palm Beach mm -hmm. this year back in 2015 when it happened and uh it it basically got people to take me seriously so so it was an awesome thing um but my response to artists was just like you know this is the first time they've given anybody this award. Well, not artists, I guess, like people who have that critique, because other artists, I guess, get that as well. Yeah. And then how do they, they're all, I guess, like take like, that in? How do you in. deal with yeah, it? How do you, how do you, what's the best response to that when someone kind of. I think for me, it's just staying humble and mm -hmm. just being able to, like, be a mirror for other people in some way. Um, find what it is that they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. uh, without necessarily judging how they're coming off because I don't think a lot of people are very refined in their word choice. Uh, so oftentimes what felt like jealousy could have really just been, you know, an artist who's somewhat desperate to make it, uh, feeling like they've been overshadowed by somebody that didn't work as hard as them, or so they think. Um, just based on their lack of knowledge, like their lack of experience or knowledge, their own ignorance to the situation. Um, so I would never really like put them down for it. I would mm -hmm. just try to rationalize their emotional situation and say like, you can do this too. And try to, try to motivate them. Um, instead of creating more resistance, try to create more unity if possible. Um, <laughs> so I think if anybody is dealing with, um, you know, some title or something that creates an image of you. Uh, you aren't owned by that. You can create whatever image you want and you don't have to allow that to limit you in any way. I did feel limited by 
by that um, because I'm not just an emerging artist. I'm at this point a mid-career artist and I've done stuff that a lot of people aren't aware of. I've collectors in other countries. I, you know, I get calls from people who have serious budgets for artwork and it doesn't happen often enough to keep me afloat, but it happens enough to where I'm building something. So, you know, it's not my first rodeo. I'm not a newbie walking in going, I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm a curator and I've done it from every angle. So in a lot of ways it, it built me up, but it kind of held me back. And, um, I guess for me, it's just, you know, revealing to the world who I am every day. Like I, all I can do is represent myself as best as I can. And people who, who experience that, or if they have like, <clears throat> you know, some experience they've had with me that maybe they don't feel happy about or they do feel happy about like I just hope that they take that experience and learn from it and grow and get better and are motivated by whether it was good or bad yes. what do you feel you all your experience as a curator has added a lot to your work oh so much yeah I think that I'm uh, a better curator than I am an artist <laughs> for sure um technically I think you know there's so many amazing artists down here in South Florida that aren't honored enough and don't have enough platforms so yeah uh, through my experience working with um you know some of these artists like greg durr and and chink and lady larva and you know christopher ian mcfarlane who i love so much uh mm -hmm. all those people i put them in this show called limitless um a couple years ago and they've all really gone in such amazing directions and their paths are so solidified now and I don't really think that has anything to do with me, but I think it has to do with um, just how we affect each other. And and they've influenced me so much more than I get to tell them. So, Is that something yeah, that, <laughs> for sure. Is that something you would um, encourage young emerging art artists to, to get some experience doing and curate Absolutely. some pieces? That way they can like see how... Yeah, I think um, before you curate a show, though, be good at like stuff, like know how to <laughs> know how to write an email and organize things and know how to hang a picture. I think there's a lot of people out there currently who are curating shows and don't know how to hang a picture. That's crazy to me. I think that yes, uh, young artists should, you know, create collectives of their friends and find independent venues and put on independent shows that aren't funded by government resources or grants or private, you know, investors and stuff and just go out there and throw it all at the wall and see what what hits because that experience with your audience is so vital to finding out yeah. who you are and what you really want to say. Uh like I said earlier, the the work gets better with the audience. It's one is not you know, they, they are completely intertwined. The two things, the artwork and the audience are completely intertwined. The more you reach out to your art audience and the more you can connect with them, and that's what, to me, what curating is about. It's, it's about speaking to the audience and getting people there who really enjoy this and want to appreciate it and giving them the opportunity to give feedback on it. Like, it's so cool as an art appreciator, like myself and all of us, right? Mm -hmm. It's cool to go to a show and like be able to talk to the curator or the artist and, and talk to them about their work and, and tell them your thoughts and feelings about it. And 
so yeah, if you can put together an independent show or you need help doing that, you can call me. <laughs> mm. uh, I will help you in any way that I can, whether it's give you contacts or tell you the, you know, the next place to do a show at or even give you something that I don't have time to do. <laughs> so do that. Message me. <laughs> Definitely. We want to get uh, into some of your uh, artworks that you've done recently. Um, brought over some. Tell us about, uh, before we get into some of these, I wanted to get into a couple of art, uh, a series that you have that you spotlighted. Yeah, the, the You Get None series. Yeah. And talk about more or less how that uh, came about. The, yeah, the how that came about and, and more or less the convo between each one of those and also the color psychology. A lot of uh, yeah. photos that you have. Um, well, a lot of the, the works that you have, at least here, they brought to us have tealish, the blue tealish, greenish. Yeah. Um, is what is, is that a Palm Beach type of thing, or uh, I think that... I think that's like I always mix my colors from a designer's perspective. Like I was a you know I'm a trained graphic designer and marketer, so my experience comes from working in in uh, print colors. So that's like cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Uh, C or you know some C M Y K. So. So I mix my colors that way. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of times, like, cyan just speaks to me. It's it's very um, it's very masculine at the same time. Yeah. Uh, those green undertones are calming. You think it's masculine? Yeah, I, mean, I, would I, think it's, I don't I wouldn't consider it. You wouldn't it. call it masculine? Not it's very like masculine. Blue. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't. I would I mean, it's softer masculine, It's I would very say. soft. Yeah. Most it's, of my stuff, I... There's a femininity that comes through regardless of how masculine I want it to be. <laughs> um, go ahead. But as you were saying, no, uh, no, it's with the with the color, but as you were saying. Oh well, I guess just cyan is like my go-to. Yeah. It's one of my favorites: cyan, magenta, yellow, black. What was more the uh, the narrative behind this piece that you have here, smoke? Um, yeah, that piece um, is actually. It's it's from like the '60s when these groups of people used to get together. A lot of times, college students and stuff, and they would train to protest to do sit-ins. So this piece is, um, you know, a few young men blowing smoke into another guy's face, uh, and he's trying to endure the smoke. Uh, in other words, so that he can train to ultimately do a sit-in in Alabama, where. Um, you know, some very racist people would do really terrible things. Um, but it, yeah, it was, it's, it's about human decency. Uh, it's about the, you know, the aesthetic of smoke is really fun to play with from an artistic standpoint, but the narrative in this is, uh, you know, training yourself for, for battle or for protest, in other words. What made you kind of tackle this, this subject? Um, well, Walking in Circles, that show I did back in October... Uh, basically because it aligned with the election, uh, the election following um, in November, I knew that the show was going to run the last weekend of, of October and that people were going to vote on the second. So I wanted to give myself an opportunity to make some kind of uh, last stand um, for what I believe in, you know, which is human decency and democracy. So I wanted to influence people to vote, and I wanted people to see that the issues that we are talking about with, with 
inhumanity that's still going on in our own country, those things have happened forever ago and they're still happening. Your parents went through it and now you're going through it. Now you have an opportunity to vote and to make a decision uh, that could potentially, you know, change the outcome of your life and it's way more valuable than I think a lot of people uh, know. Even if, even if you think the elections are rigged and whatever else, you do have a voice, you do get to cast one vote and that was, you know, my mentality was I might not be out there marching for a lot of these things, but I am here making a body of work to speak to you so that I have an opportunity to talk to every person who walks in that room and, you know, let them know that they, their voice matters. You get out there and vote. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, protest or (laughs) start a movement or start a fucking riot. I don't care. (laughs) Like whatever you got to do to, to, you know, keep people safe and, and, United that that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna do especially with the yeah current the environment and current state of the politics yeah. today like and that's I think a lot of a lot of artists have been able to express themselves to show how they kind of what their opinions are towards this and speaking of themselves and you're seeing like a lot of things well mostly like a against Trump pro Trump whatever it is but just like a lot of cool art great art is being created because yeah. of this process and then like everyone's be able to kind of show what they kind of their feelings towards it from yeah. their opinion standing up and this is what this kind of era is about with technology i wasn't really political in the beginning of my career because i felt like it might isolate a part of my buying crowd in other words i mm-hmm. didn't i didn't want to really um isolate anyone yeah, yeah like i didn't want to isolate anyone so i used to keep a lot of my politics to myself and then through the election cycle at some point i had to get off of social media but it's a huge tool for what i do business-wise uh, and eventually came back, and what I realized through that process was that, like, I don't care at this point who I isolate. If you are not in, if you're not humane to other people, then I don't want you to have my art. I don't care how much money you have. Um, and that's sort of been my mentality ever since. That was back in October, and I've had quite a few people try to acquire work from me, and I don't really like the way they are. So I don't let them buy my work. I don't care mm. how much money they have. They're not my buyer. That's they don't get the honor of having my work because they're not decent people. I don't know if that's nice <laughs> or not. That's not very nice, but it's the stand I take because money does not trump forget, <laughs> uh, <laughs> money does not trump humanity. You cannot flash money in my face and get me to do whatever you want. Money doesn't buy me. Right. Uh, you know, relationship does and, and decency and kindness. Those are the things that get you further in life. I think in my experience, like it doesn't matter how much money I throw. It's, it's something, you know, money is not going to get anything anywhere. Really. It, it's about the relationships you create and, you know, the experiences that you create. So that's you know that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So that, uh, that leads to uh, like a good question. Like, how what uh what place do you think like aesthetic art has uh, in society versus like art that has a little bit more meaning? And like from a curator, like what's your thought on like how consumers like uh, appreciate art? Because a lot of times yeah. it feels like it's more like aesthetic art that they want to just put in their house and not is, necessarily is there a place for aesthetic art Do you... yeah i mean i i think so I, I you know i used to be really resistant to this like the whole like interior designers 
type of stuff, but um, I thought about it in a totally different context. Like I changed my thoughts on it. Um, there are some really amazing interior designers who work to create uh, a better a better environment for their clientele so that they can have peace of mind and basically experience different emotions in each room, right? So I think of it now as like an interior design. I am an interior designer as well. I have a small business called Fixed Services and I do interior design for commercial for commercial projects. Um, I, I, I only have a small portfolio, but it's something I do on the side. What I've realized in that process is that People have specific needs. Some people have really stressful jobs. Um, artwork has the ability, like color psychology, like we talked about, an abstract piece can speak like so much more than people even realize. You don't have to, I've tried to get away from the illustration a thousand times. You don't have to do something that looks realistic or um, you know, is looks technically correct if you are really bringing the energy to that piece, that piece will do well. Um, it will sell and your buyer will appreciate it, whether or not it's figurative or has, you know, any subject matter at all. If you can feel it, you can sell it. Yeah, a lot of times when it's too literal, it makes it easier to criticize. Absolutely. And then it loses its message because now it's, even though it could be like a very powerful message, you're fixated on that imperfection and yeah. it gets no, lost there. Totally. And, <laughs> and I... I totally, uh, I appreciate you saying that and noticing that because I think for a lot of us, like when you're in the beginning of your career or middle of your career, you've created a style and that's what people expect from you. But in a big way, like I've wanted to go completely abstract for years and I haven't taken that step because of the potential um, repercussion of that, which could be, you know, completely isolating my audience, making people think that I'm um lazy mm -hmm. i've heard i've heard lazy before from other people and I, i'm like i don't know where you get off calling anybody lazy but you yeah. know it is what it is this work requires intention and like serious focus and abstract artists are equally as valuable as a figurative or representational artist impressionalist what whatever you are uh if you're an abstract artist you just keep doing that make sure somebody feels it uh, you know, mix your own colors, play with things like experiment, push it, push it and, and put it up. I, I don't agree with every piece of abstract art I see. Sometimes mm -hmm. I see something and it's one stroke on a page. And if that stroke's powerful, then I appreciate it. If that stroke brings nothing and it looks like a slip of the hand and I can tell there was no passion in it because you can tell the difference in a stroke. I at least if you're an artist, you can feel it the way, uh, you know, the, the dog can like experience something without speaking English. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They can feel the tone. So that's what I feel when I see a stroke. I think that, you know, not every abstract piece of art is good. And I think it's all up for interpretation and whether or not it speaks to you and you can relate to it. Um, but yeah, I think there is a place for aesthetic art and I think there is a place for every kind of art because it's all up for interpretation. And if you're willing to put it out there, and somebody's willing to appreciate it, that's all it takes for it to be art. It's true. So not, you're, it's not more about the emotion, like what it can... Yeah, but not that everybody it. should go out and just try to like call themselves an artist and like just throw stuff at yeah. a canvas. Like don't, don't, 
don't devalue something by calling it easy. Like I've had, <laughs> we've had some customers uh, at Jerry's Artorama where I'm here, I'm out three days a week. And we've had some amazing customers that come in and, you know, we share great experiences and talk about stuff. But I have had somebody who, who came in and said, I want a painting above my couch. Um, we gave him an entire tour of the facility. We told him how to stretch his canvas. We got him, you know, linked up with our custom framer to stretch something. He actually went out, rented a studio, uh, invested lots of thousands of dollars in art supplies and ever since has been trying to create the painting that he wants above his couch. He calls on a weekly basis. We walk him through uh, what's next, but basically we're training him to make his own art. You don't have to do that. You can go support another artist. You know, you can go out there and spend a couple grand on a painting that you really love and not have to go, you know, you d don't just think you can do it yourself because yeah. there there's years and years of experience and, and, and life experience and chemistry. And I'm telling you, you know, these are skills that people don't just acquire in a day. Uh, it might seem easy for some people when they see it on YouTube or something, but I say challenge yourself, but you know, if you love a painting, invest the money, buy it, make Support. payments, do what you got to yeah. do. It doesn't even have to be a thousand dollar piece. It could doesn't. Be, yeah, you can, I mean, there are totally, yeah, I, I, with me, like I'll try to price things, uh, you know, really affordably, you know, I have work that starts at like 50 bucks and goes all the way up to, you know, $15,000. There, there are, there are different people can afford different things and different things cost more time is how I see it. So if I'm going to put six months or a year into something, it requires a, a decent payout. If I know that I can produce 20 pieces in a week, then I'm able to uh, charge less. And that, that's a lot of how my process was developed. I knew that, I knew that like our local community couldn't really afford um, some of the things I wanted to make. So I found ways to make those things with less expensive materials. Mm -hmm. um, like when Pearls, I used to work at Pearls when I was like 16. And at the time when Pearls was going under and going out of business, um, I cashed in my 401k for my marketing, the marketing position I had at JM Field. I cashed my 401k and I went and bought as many art supplies as I could um, with my 401k, with my retirement plan. My mom thought I was nuts. And I said, well, this is an investment in my future. And I still have some of those materials. Like, but that, that big buy that I was able to do and, and at such a significant discount, because unfortunately Pearls was going out of business, uh, benefited me tremendously because I was able to offer my work at a lower price point. People are really not aware of the cost of materials. So even if you think something looks like garbage to you, if you just counted how much money it costs to produce that thing, yeah. you would uh, get a little bit more insight into uh, the value, the yeah, value, yeah. and also like how much passion it takes to produce this stuff. Yeah. Uh, because if you're throwing, you know, three hundred dollars a month at art supplies or more, it, it's, it's bigger than, you know, your cell phone bill for sure. It's bigger, probably bigger than your electric bill. And if you're not like, if you're a millennial or, you know, somebody who hasn't 
Merchant artists, that's a lot yeah. of, yeah, yeah. big it, proportion. It becomes, yeah, when you're, you know, you're, 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 when you're literally, your grocery bill is half the price of your art supplies, then you know that you have a problem. Like, that's why I, ha I have an art problem, and that's why I had to go get a job at Jerry's, and I love it. <laughs> it's helping me get my fix, in other words. Um, Artaholic cancel. Yeah, they cancel out. It's like. The money I'm able to earn through that can just go directly right back, back into the work. And <laughs> yeah. it, it's really there to serve my audience and my buyers. But yeah, I appreciate you coming out to us and, and speaking with us for the podcast. Is there uh, anything that you want to plug? Where can, oh, sure. Where can people find your, your art? Um, you can find my art currently in West Palm Beach at Respectable Street. Um, I've had a series of paintings up for the whole year and last year, including those nuns. Um, you can also find uh, some of my events on Shangri-La Creations uh, Facebook page. We are doing a Ink and Drink Sunday social every first Sunday of the month at 2AND Las Olas. Um, and this May 7th, we have Nelly Sweetie uh, is our featured artist. So we're going to be featuring a new artist every month. And that's just an artist hangout. So if you're an artist and you are listening to this... Come out to Duran every first Sunday, 7 and 9, and paint with your friends and have some beers. We'll make sure to put uh, those details on, on the website to make it easy to find. <laughs> That's in Fort Lauderdale, correct? That's in Fort Lauderdale on Las Olas. I also have um, a ton of events coming up, six months of curations with uh, Howley's in Lake Worth, Howley's Restaurant. That's a really cool little lowbrow uh, diner sort of vintage. I have a solo show coming up as well, so keep you know keep you posted on that as it as it comes up um and then there's a ton of shows going on uh they i'll give you guys a list too so you can put it on the yeah, website you yeah. can find her on facebook at kelsey mcquade art and you can find her on uh, instagram at kelsey mcquade mm -hmm. yeah remember to follow us at facebook instagram and snapchat um all of our twitter as well at vivid arts app Check out our website, vividartap.com. And, and subscribe yeah. to us on Facebook or on uh, iTunes, <laughs> SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Yeah. And check out their one. YouTube. Check it out. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Kelsey.